Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Carrying a baby is one of the most profound physical experiences a woman can go through. You may have morning sickness, strange aches and pains, and an overwhelming urge to eat gherkins. It's a time when your body seems to take on a life of its own. When I was pregnant, any questions I had, I asked my sister, who'd been there before. But what happens if you don't have someone to ask all those questions to? Ruby Matley is a health scientist who wanted to make that kind of friend available to everyone. So she decided to create a book with her obstetrician, Dr. David Addenbrook. The result is Nine Months, the essential Australian guide to pregnancy. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hi. Ruby, there is a ton of information out there about pregnancy. Why did you want to write a book about it? Uh, Around six months after I'd had my daughter, I looked back and thought, I really wish I had something, a guide to help me during my pregnancy. There were so many things I didn't know. There were so many things that I would Google or email to David at all times of the night. And so, yeah, there was the making of nine months. And David, um, obviously you have delivered quite a few babies. You just told us a minute ago you were up at 3 a.m. in your water birth. Great work, Bianca. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Bianca. Congratulations. (laughs) I hope you're having a little nap now. Um, What is it you would like pregnant women to understand about the nine months ahead of them? Um, I think the most important thing for women to understand is that they have options and that they have choice and Traditional medical care is very paternalistic and dictating what's safe, but there's a there's a realm of safety and there's a realm of, of the experience that's important. So having the choice and having someone to make that available to you. I've got to say, I haven't heard of many obstetricians doing water births. Is, yeah. Was it in their home or was it in a hospital setting? Oh, my, my insurance company wouldn't like me going to the home, okay. but we, <laughs> at, we're pretty lucky in our unit. We have a pool in every birth suite, so water births are very common. Right. And Ruby, is that why you chose David, not just to write the book, but to also be your obstetrician? So, yes. uh, David was my obstetrician with my firstborn and I actually had a Caesar, but the way that we did the Caesar was quite natural. I dropped the curtain. I had skin to skin immediately. We just dropped the curtain, (laughs) man. (laughs) <laughs> you can explain that, David. Yeah. It means that there's a curtain up. When you have a cesarean, there's a curtain up that it separates you from the patient. And I found that cesareans are very, they're very separated for the parents from the experience of that actual birth. So I encourage women to have the curtain down as the baby's emerging, let it come out in its own time and set the mood. We can turn the lights down, have music playing. When baby comes out, we try and get it immediately onto mum's skin while the cord's pulsating, which is very much like a natural birth. And I talk about this in the book quite a lot about how to make a cesarean a birth and not a surgery, which is um, important. So, you know, nurturing the experience of birth for women is very important to me. And Ruby, does that mean you can see everything? I'm just, you know, asking the obvious <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. How did that photos. feel? It's really surreal. It's quite amazing. I didn't think my husband would cope seeing all, you know, blood and... But no, it's it's pretty amazing, and it's your child. So, but most of the time, you're not, not watching the actual operation. No, like once the baby's on the curtain, you bring it back up. I did have one couple who opted to. Well, the, the woman wanted to watch. She was a vet, and she loved it. <laughs> she loved watching me dissect into her abdomen. But the minute the baby was out, I'm looking over to the dad, and he's looking very pale. And then he <laughs> fell back and had to lie down for a bit. So, no, don't watch the surgery. Watch the birth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I don't want to sound, um, I've just got a very generalized view of 
experience with experiences with obstetricians, I think when we talk about birth, there often seems to be two camps. There's those that say they want a natural natural birth, whatever that might mean, let's say a vaginal birth with midwives, and then someone will say, oh, no, I'm definitely going with an obstetrician in a private hospital. Um, what's your take on that, David? Because it yeah. obviously that's not the kind but, of work you do. Yeah. Uh, where I work is on the Northern Rivers. You know, I'm, I'm half an hour from Byron Bay, so that gives you an idea of, <laughs> of what sort of clientele I usually specialize in. I mm-hmm. support a lot of women who are planning home birth, and it's actually a lot of my patients aren't going to birth in the hospital. I won't go to their home, but I'll be there at the hospital if they need me. So I think that that's got its own role. Um, the hospital I work at, we have the lowest cesarean rate in the state. So, you know, I think we, we do our part to try and keep things natural. Uh, it sounds like a perfect balance. And obviously, this is what you're trying to bring into the book. Um, David, in your professional work, what is the most common thing pre- pregnant women come to you with? And have you had any surprises? Like, yeah, <laughs> like when they're actually, well, what, you know, the I'm com- pregnant. <laughs> the most common question, the most common. Yeah, most common question. What is it that um, pregnant women seem to worry the most about? All right. I mean, I, th- I think, and I can't speak as I've, I've never carried a baby myself, but I think that the, the three top fears of pregnancy are probably pooing, tearing, dying. In that order. (laughs) Dying is a very distant bird. I love that pooing comes top of the list. We have heard that, actually. And I don't ever remember being afraid of that or even if I did it or not. But apparently it's quite normal for you to do it and not remember. talk about it in the book. Yeah, (laughs) which is good. You need to demystify these things. Um, Ruby, tell me about your second pregnancy. How did it differ from your first? I was running after a toddler the second time round, so I couldn't lay down on the lounge and read a book, lay down by the beach. It was very, very different, but I was definitely less anxious the second time round. A lot of those questions that I had with my first child were already answered or I felt more more ready to make the decisions. I was more conscious of making decisions uh, for the birth and... Yeah. Were any of those top threes any of your first pregnancy concerns? And did you keep any for the second? No, they weren't actually. <laughs> Hold on. I got the first and the last. I was completely forgot. What was the second one tearing. again? Tearing. tearing. Yeah, tearing's a big fear, isn't it? Do you address that in the book? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's a natural part of birth and something that shouldn't be feared but should be you know, um, embraced. <laughs> <laughs> You're it should be discussed. Discussed. <laughs> Prepared for, perhaps? Yeah, it's part of the absolutely. rite of passage. Oh, man. <laughs> so many pregnant women listening to that going, really? Really? Is it a rite of passage? Um, does the book include, so let's use tearing as an example. Um, there are all sorts of things you can Google about how you might prevent tearing. Do you go into that in, in the book? We do. We talk about preparing in terms of massage um, and with other topics as well. We talk about uh, those options. Because sometimes people, like let's say, like you mentioned in the introduction, Ruby, you wanted this to be like a friend that you could talk to. And one of the things about talking to a friend about the options is if they tried something. I know my sister-in-law was very concerned about tearing and she bought one of those ball things (laughs) and I was just not convinced. I was thinking, well... Yeah. yeah. So some women love know. the idea. Other women, they look at it and they just shake their head immediately. It's but not the, for the book in, book includes options that look, are reasonable, yeah. Yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think part of it is what Ruby covers a lot of the being prepared side, the psychological, the nutritional, and I cover a lot of the medical. So you know, um, these are the tests. This is what will happen if complications arise, and it's got a good balance, and it's very unique in that way. 
And it's something I'm assuming people can dip in depending on what their question is. They just go look it up. That's the thing I'm worried about. Yeah. So it's not big like the old pregnancy books that are out there. So it is more of a guide. So you can flick to that page, have a little read and then put it aside and come back to it later or even refer to it second or third pregnancy. Speaking of second and third pregnancies, um, are there elements of pregnancy that will be similar to your previous experiences? I mean, I'm trying to think with now my youngest is four. I can't remember. So <laughs> there's a medical term uh, we call a first pregnancy, a patient with a first pregnancy, primiparis, and someone who's had more than one pregnancy is multiparis. And one of the old textbooks I read said that primipara and multipara should be treated as different species. In other words, when it's not your first baby, it's going to be a very different experience, not just uh, psychologically and prepared, preparedness, but physically. You know, second labors are a walk in the park compared to first. Not for males. No. <laughs> Actually, yeah, a male should never say walk in the park when it comes to... No, you shouldn't. You're lucky you don't have a black eye right now. And he does you know, have four children, though, so... Oh, there you go. Well, that, that helps to know. And, and it is that it's so interesting how different it can be because I do admit going to my second going, this is going to be a breeze, and it was way longer. It was probably, in some respects, a better birth. I didn't need as much intervention with him as I did with my my first child. But um, I know that I definitely found with the second pregnancy, I had forgotten a lot. So it does depend, do you think, how closely you have your children together in terms of what you might want refreshing on with a book like this? I think so. And also you might go through things, you might have had, you know, a breech birth the first time round. So may have resulted in a Caesar and then you want to have a VBAC. It just really depends. Hopefully a breech birth wouldn't result in a seizure. That's something that we're pretty big on up where I work as well. So you do um, breech deliveries? Absolutely. I did a, oh, almost so a dozen last year. A dozen? Yeah, which is, which is a lot compared to the national average. Wow, yeah. Look at my face. I'm like, <laughs> I only just found out um, my manager had had a breech birth and yeah. I was like, what? How does that work? Crazy. It's fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, but for you, that's a very normal. Um, you want to give women the option Absolutely. that if they have a if they have a breech baby, yeah. do you want a vaginal birth, and then yep. they make that. That's choice. what I mean about choice. And so presenting women with the information and the risks, and letting them um, choose by the way within the realms of safety. So I've had pretty good experiences that way. I had I did two breech births in one weekend a few months ago, and I think I did the most in the country that weekend. But you know. Wow. That's incredible. Ruby, how did you come up with the contents of the book? Because as we've just been speaking about, your two pregnancies probably would have been quite different. Um, did you have to call on David quite a bit because he's obviously seen so many births? I did, yes. And I also uh, spoke to a lot of women from antenatal classes and just friends and family. I also had a Word document on my computer called All the Questions I Asked, and they were actually ones that I had emailed David or that I had Googled. (laughs) Embarrassing. (laughs) And so that really helped to create the content of the book. Um, I think one of the things is that with pregnancy, some of the changes that happen in your body can feel really weird and there can be some icky things that come up. Um, were people forthright in asking you those questions and do women are women comfortable asking you those questions, David? Because sometimes it's like, oh, is that, oh I don't know, was that meant to happen? And I'm not talking about the pooing. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's nothing that's off limits with pregnancy and birth. And, you know, I get asked all sorts of things. And, yeah, there's a lot of um, embarrassment at times, but most of the time that's, that's the important thing about having a, a a long-term 
care provider for a pregnancy throughout is that you could develop trust and rapport and you can ask those embarrassing questions. You felt like that comfort? Yeah, absolutely. I think there is no silly question, don't you think? Oh, no, not silly. No no such thing as a silly question, but some can be a little bit harder to ask. Yeah, absolutely. What is the strangest thing you think happens during pregnancy? I actually have to ask you that, David, because... There is every chance that you haven't had that experience, Ruby. <laughs> What's the strangest thing that happens? Gee, um, this, uh, <laughs> I think Ruby mentions one in the book that's pretty strange about cravings, mm-hmm. about the um, non-food related cravings. Yes. Pika. Yeah. Pika. Yeah. So What's that? It's when women crave things that are non-food. Oh, yes. I've heard of this. Yeah. So things like chalk, soil, it was chalk and soil is quite enough for me. I mean, if that's what people are wanting to think, eat. I've heard about the soil. Someone said it was a, had something to do with nutrients that are in soil, or is that just a myth? Yeah, I think, I mean, pregnancy is a state where you're growing essentially a parasite inside your body that your body is tolerating, <laughs> and it is going to leach all the nutrients out, and so your body will look for them in unusual sources. And dirt might be one of them. Hmm. What kind of nutrients are in chalk? I know I'm asking you questions you can't answer. I'm sorry. I'll stop now. Um, Okay. So there are a couple of things we'd like to settle before you go, David. I'm throwing them to you. Um, Just some quick fire questions perhaps Mm. you can answer. You may not have short answers for all of them, but we'll see how we go. Can you still dye your hair when pregnant? Yeah. I think the the main fear is about some of the chemicals being transmitted transcutaneously, and a lot of it is... um, more theoretical than factual, but I think if you do it safely and try and avoid contact with the skin as much as possible. I'm just throwing my own in because um, my producer Elise wrote these down, but I have to ask about the cheese question because so many people say you can't have soft cheese and then someone will say, but yeah, but we've got pasteurised cheese in Australia. It's all really safe. Absolutely. I think it has to be pasteurised and it has to have, you have to store it, you know, in refrigerator so don't leave it out. To avoid soft cheeses like camembert and blue cheese has been... I don't know who'd want to eat blue the, cheese when they're pregnant. The but. fear is about a bug called listeria, which, you know, it can form in those sorts of foods if they've been kept that way, but uh, it's not a risk you want to take. That's why we sort of say avoid them all together. But, away. yeah, I mean, with the, with the right handling, the right preparation is probably fine. Okay. Um, can you sleep on your back? It's... it's um encouraged that you don't sleep on your back in the third trimester and it's mainly to do with the reflexes uh, for your blood pressure and in the third trimester the baby puts weight on the blood vessel coming back to your heart. The truth is in healthy women who don't have major concerns like sleep apnea, if you're on your back and the uterus is compressing the blood flow back to your heart, your brain's going to wake up and make you move and roll over. Your brain only gets you know, 5 to 10% of your blood flow when you're pregnant compared to the uterus getting 30%. So your brain knows before the baby does if you're not getting enough blood back. But, yeah, safe practice is to avoid it at the end of the pregnancy, especially when the uterus is above your belly button. Mm-hmm. Okay. And can you go to the dentist while you're pregnant? You, you not only can, but you should. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, once again, with this sort of parasite growing in your body, so that's not probably the word people want, but uh, the the deficiencies, pregnant women are very prone to dental caries. So it's very good practice to actually have a dental checkup either before you get pregnant or during the pregnancy for that reason. I have heard of people having terrible problems with their teeth after, even after pregnancy and way beyond. So what exactly happens? Why is it a danger? 
Well, with the why? teeth, why is it a problem with your teeth? Like, why could why do you have to pay special attention? Oh, to because them? because you're getting more nutritional deficiencies from okay. calcium and all the things that, that are needed to create healthy so teeth. So, going to your baby and not to your teeth. Yeah. Mm. So look out for them. Um, and can sorry, I I'm I'm reading this as someone who hasn't been preg- who has been pregnant, which is why I laughed. Can you get a massage while pregnant? Hell yes. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> definitely as many as possible. As many as possible. But is there a point in pregnancy where you can't anymore, or is there? Do you need to go to a, a practitioner who understands pregnancy massage? Because I've heard there's points on your feet that you're not meant to muck about with. Oh look, I think um, when it comes to massage, anything that makes you relax can only be beneficial. And I think as long as a practitioner is not directly manipulating the uterus and the baby or putting pressure that way, it's all fine. All fine. And you just want a hole for your belly, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, there's so much in this book for people to look into. Ruby, David, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. That was Dr. David Addenbrook and Ruby Matley. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy of their book, Nine Months, The Essential Australian Guide to Pregnancy, we'll put a link to it in the description for this episode or just search the book title on our website. That's babyology.com.au forward slash feedplaylove. Next time on Feed, Play, Love, we're talking to Dr. Sneha Wadwani about how to avoid falling pregnant in the first place. These um, contraceptives work on a slow release of hormone if they're using a, a hormone or rely on a mechanical mechanism of stopping pregnancy. This podcast is produced by Elise Cooper. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you'll join me for the next episode of Feed, Play, Love.